Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So let me ask you something. Uh, Who are we waiting for? Metaphorically, society has been turned on its head. And who's the who's the hero? Who's the savior? Who's the who's who are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? I like to talk about such things because there's so much change as everyone on the planet knows the collective of the human consciousness has been turned on its head. And normal, quote, normal, unquote, of 2019 won't fix anything. We can't put the pieces back together. (laughs) The puzzle doesn't work that way. Once it comes apart, it's a whole new puzzle. Are we waiting for a a leader, a, a savior? What if? plane loads of Jesuses landed all over the planet. Would that fix things? I I like to noodle this stuff because, you know, if you don't ask the tough questions, you can't solve the tough problems. I suggest to you there's no one persona that's going to create a new normal for six, seven billion people on the planet. It's going to be us. It's going to be you. It's going to be me. And normal, by its very nature, means more of the same. More of the same. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Normal won't fix or change anything as it means more of the same. Okay, I know I said I had a question, but I have have two questions. The second question is all about tonight's show. Tonight's show is becoming fierce, creating a bold and beautiful life. And I'm delighted to have Stephanie James back on the show. We're going to talk, bring her on in just a minute. But the second question I want to ask is, what's the uh, archetype? What's the narrative? What's the telltale sounds, telltale signs of a passionate person, uh, uh, like the divine idea of a person. And that's, that's kind of getting, um, I don't know that you can pin a single paragraph that would apply to all 7 billion people, but What is the uh, divinely intended idea of the human archetype, the human genome, the human persona? What does that look like? Does it exist on our planet today? Or even through the history of history, does someone... Does some persona come to mind that exemplifies, well, well, that's the stuff, that's the Kool-Aid, that's, that's the divine intention of a, of a human persona? These are curious things to me. <laughs> I think we should get to it because uh, I'm anxious to hear Stephanie's take on on becoming fierce i just that just has some zap to it i think we should get to it becoming fierce is a book about how to live life fully embodying the powerful passionate fiery energy that is the authentic expression of every human being In this book, the reader will learn how to trust their inner GPS and follow their inner guidance, understanding their relationship with power, 
how they give it away, and how they can reclaim it. And how does surrender and serendipity play important roles in igniting the spark within? From loving fiercely to purging what doesn't serve. Purging what doesn't serve. I love that. Stephanie takes her audience on a personal journey and shares stories from her many years as a psychotherapist, transformation coach, coach, and a host of the Spark Radio Show and podcast, where she has interviewed some of the biggest names in psychology, spirituality, science, and more. Join me in welcoming Stephanie to the show. Stephanie, it's so nice to have you back on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Les. It's so great to be here with you. Becoming Fierce, Becoming Fierce, which is the name of your latest book, I always, when we use terms that perhaps aren't mainstream, I always like to start off with a, an understanding of how you intend the word, and that word would be fierce. When, when you chose the title, Becoming Fierce, for your book, what did fierce mean for you to choose it as a title? Yeah, well, that's such a great question. And I feel like a part of uh, what's maybe important about that question, I, I have to rewind just a little bit and tell you how that title came to be. And part of how that title came to be is that I was being interviewed, just as I was on your show a little over a year ago, by a different host, Karen Curry Parker. And as we were talking, towards the end of the interview, she said to me, well, what do you feel like is ahead for you? And I said, well, I think there's another book coming through. I keep getting these, you know, hits as I'm stopped at a stoplight and I get a download. <laughs> I've got to write it on a little scrap of paper. So I know, you know, there's, there's a new book coming in. And we got done with that interview. And she said to me afterwards, well, you don't know this but my business partner and I own a publishing company and we'd like to publish your next book. And so serendipitously, um, the very next day, I'm on the Zoom with her partner, Michelle Vandepas. And as I'm telling Michelle my idea for the book, which really had to do a lot with my personal life story, Michelle said to me, Stephanie, you are fierce. You are fierce. And right then I just knew that the title was Becoming Fierce. And I woke up that morning about 1.15 in the morning and wrote down the whole outline of the book. It just all came through. And so what fierce really means to me, and I, I defined it in the beginning of the book, it's not about being aggressive. It's really about that passionate, purposeful, fiery energy that really is what we can ignite within us when we're living our lives in full expression and being our authentic selves. So as we excavate those, you know, that spark that I think is our essence within us, we're able to show up and live this, what my definition is of a fierce life. Very nice. Well, now, can you give us some context of your life that that you feel like uh, brought about that ferocity in yourself, uh, that that fierce attribute that um, she was talking about when she suggested that? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of times, as you know, people can look at things on the outside and say, well, you're successful, you're an author, filmmaker, coach, you have all this going for you, I'm sure your life was pretty easy. And that's why I felt like it was really essential to share this um, and share my personal story. Because number one, I always, I love Jacob Lieberman saying, we're all the same height. Like we're all in this together. Nobody gets out of childhood unscathed. And I was no different. Uh, you know, I, I'm so lucky. I had this really golden childhood for about 13 years where right. I, you know, had, I had these beautiful family dinners with grandparents and extended aunts and uncles, cousins every Sunday. I mean, every Sunday we were at my grandma's farm and um, just had a lot of 
close family, felt very supported. And I was definitely less, I was definitely a daddy's girl. So I was my dad's little shadow. If he was out raking the lawn, I'd be there helping, you know, scoop things up. And when he was working on his workbench, I'd just be nailing nails into a board just so I could be by him. Right. And, you know, in the mor- and he would, in the morning, um, when he would shave, he would put shaving cream all over my face, and I would shave my face <laughs> with a little plastic <laughs> toothbrush holder. You know, I just wanted to be near him. And so... You know, I, I really did have this lovely childhood. My my brother, who's three years uh, younger than I, just really had this golden time until one night when everything changed. You know, I had never seen my parents fight, um, never heard a crossword between them. And all of a sudden, my brother and I were woken up to the sound of screeching tires going down the driveway and we're peering down from my second floor window, the second story window. And we're watching as my mother is just tearing out of the driveway. And my father jumps on the hood of the car and he's beating on the window of the car, trying to get her to come out. And we're just in awe, not knowing what's happening. And unbeknownst to us, my father had waited till, you know, we kids had fallen asleep to tell my mom that he was in love with another woman and he was leaving her and it was from that moment you know my golden childhood was completely shattered and irreversibly broken Um, my mother had a complete mental emotional breakdown being in love with this man for 18 years and became really unstable and um, I always have to say she's my one of my very best friends now but at the time really just really struggled and so since I was a daddy's girl, naturally I left and went to live with my father. And that's kind of where this painful journey got more painful, honestly. Um, I had a stepmother and very shortly uh, was told that the way that my father loved me wasn't acceptable anymore. And so literally from that point on, I was not allowed to speak to my father alone. I was not allowed to be with him alone. And literally to this day, I've not been allowed to speak with him alone on the phone. And so this huge, you know, wave of rejection started happening. And when I was 16 and stayed at my mother's house for a couple of weeks that summer, they showed up, my, my dad and, and my stepmother, and told me they were moving to Austin and wanted to know if I wanted to move with them. They were leaving in about three weeks. And I had grown up with these kids since, you know, that I went to school with since fourth grade and preschool academy. And I was about to be a junior in high school. And I said, no, I, I want to stay here. And at that point, my father's came to me for a year. Unless what this did internally is I, I started believing that I was unlovable and spent the next about 15 years really feeling like I must truly be a horrible person for my father to reject me like this. Um, And so I had to go on this journey of truly learning how to befriend myself, not just the, oh, just love yourself, be your own best friend, but truly finding that that I was lovable. And I have to tell you the big moment that, that was the breakthrough happened when I was, you know, in my early 30s and went to this healing school in San Francisco. And while I was there, the presenter, Dr. Jaffe, you know, he shook my hand walking in. There are about 40 of us. And he went up on stage to do his presentation. And it was one of those handshakes where, you know, I felt like he was like looking into my soul. And I I felt like myself wanting to pull away from the handshake. Um, And he got up on stage and, uh, you know, a little bit through his presentation, he looked out at the audience and he says, hey, you in the blue coat, I have a message for you. And I'm like looking around, you know, and also I look down, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm the one in the blue coat. (laughs) And, And he says, I have a message for you. And I couldn't hear him. And you see, I'll, I'll tell you what the message is in a minute, because, you know, I, I, it was so interesting. I turned to the girl beside me. I said, did you hear what he said? And she's kind of looking at me. And then he says, he kind of laughs and says, my dear, what I'm trying to tell you is 
And as he tried to say it again, all of the air conditioning units in the place came on and nobody could hear him. So then everyone's <laughs> laughing, like, what is the deal? Like, why can't this woman hear this? And he says, my dear, come up here. He said, obviously, you have a block to this. What I'm trying to tell you, what you most need to hear is stop trying. Stop trying. Because Les, for, for 15 years, I'd been trying to earn love. I just thought like, oh, my God, if I earn good enough grades and I look good All enough right. and I have the right relationship or the right house or, you know, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be loved. And, I, you know, I had all these external programs for happiness. And in that moment, I realized, oh, my God, you know, it's actually it's an inside job that I didn't have to earn love that I needed to become like the embodiment of love. I had to start loving myself. And so that was a huge awakening on this journey, truly, to becoming fierce. Wow. How, how powerful. I mean, I mean, you set that up with such a, a loving bond with your father. And as a child, that's your, that's your norm. I mean, that's reality 101 for you. And that's where love exists. And then um, he runs into um, who would become your stepmother. And that was totally retracted out of your dynamic that was instilled Mm -hmm. at such a young age that was instilled at such a young age as an adult to... I mean, we can push that stuff down so very deeply in our psyche. What a what a wonderful um, story that you were able to recognize that attempt. You know, like like you were just saying, there must be something wrong with how I'm behaving. I need to try harder. I need to try. Mm-hmm. And then to be able to let go of that, to let go of that is to let go of the pro, the entire programming of your youth and talk about feeling a little vulnerable and naked. How did, how did that feel to, to let go? You know, it's, it's interesting, Les, because you're exactly right. I, I would always say, like, if I was a little girl who never had a present father then him, you know, choosing the behavior he chose and, and distancing himself from me, it, it wouldn't have had the impact. But feeling right. like that huge bond and, and you know, like the expression like daddy's little princess, not, not in a superficial way, but in a way where I really felt loved and seen and heard and valued and worthy. And then to feel like, wow, that was stripped away. Yeah. Um, it was absolutely devastating. It was devastating. And so um, when you ask how did, it, how did it feel, it felt like, okay, now, now I'm going to have to dig in and do the work that it takes to really learn how to love myself. And so really it was a calling. How it felt was there was a, you know, really huge aha, things making sense, things coming into alignment, And then, you know, I had to start the work of therapy and doing, you know, some trauma work and going to, you know, different spiritual, um, whether it was a women's retreat or, you know, different different things that I did that really helped cultivate the relationship that I now have with myself, where I was no longer reliant on everything outside of me to feel good about me. Right. I can start learning how do I, how do I validate me, and even more importantly, how do I learn? You know, there's a chapter in the book about how to love fiercely. So how can I learn to soften and open my heart so that I can love in that beautiful, unconditional love that I had so much of? And I and I have to say, my mother and my stepfather are two of the, you know, big healers in my life because they've continued to always show up and be that unconditional love. Right. How, well, how powerful. 
you know, love, love is, damn, it's the stuff. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that you can ever exhaust it or ever, um, I think it always expands for the container that is made for it, so to speak. I mean, like, love always has another tier. Love always has another chapter. Love has a, always has a, another dynamic. And um, to, uh, to I, I love what you said about the, um, the chapter of fears, love, and mm-hmm. it, it, it's, well, you've been in the uh, mental health arena for 30 plus years. People, people get into a, a, a norm, a, a pattern of, of preference, a pattern of choices that don't always serve them and mm-hmm. and that's why that's why I like so much about this conversation tonight how do you I'm in the beginning you shared that the first I believe you said 13 years of your life was a textbook personification of mm-hmm. a loving family and yet mm-hmm. underneath the top layers are these mechanisms of disassembly, you know, mechanisms of collapse, so to speak. How do you, how do you look at yourself and find the not obvious dogmas, stigmas, habits, patterns, beliefs in your own psyche? And, and how do those relate to your ability to love yourself? So I'm not quite sure I'm, I'm clear on, on what you're asking. Um, how, how, well, me for again. example, sure. For example, um, as a child, you were in the presence of the, fam, uh, of the love of your father. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have a personal sense of self-love. Now I feel like I'm putting words in your mouth. I, I need to be careful. No, okay. No, so I, I, think, I think I'm getting it. So and but, tell me but, if I'm answering your question. Well, well, let me just add a little bit to that. So okay. as an adult, uh, perhaps you have a client and you can observe how they don't honor themselves. They don't show up for themselves. Right. They, have, they have no boundaries, but they can't see mm-hmm. it for themselves. It's like sprinkling right. flour on the kitchen floor to see if you're sleepwalking, right? How do you <laughs> how do you find how do you how do you discover in yourself what is uh, not so obvious to you, but others might be able to see as far as how you keep love at bay, self love at bay? Does that help? Yeah. So I mean, I. You know, so I have a couple different answers because, you know, it's going to be really individual with each person. We I have think time. each person has, okay, <laughs> I think people have to, you know, we have to look within ourselves to see when I was, you know, talking earlier about living your life in full expression, I think we really can realize, you know, we get hit somatically in our body when energy centers are shut down and our hearts shut down. Right. And, you know, some of the telltale signs, I think, when we don't love ourselves, it's that really negative inner chatter. It's Ooh, when nice. we're trying to people please, you know, right. when you catch yourself agreeing to things um, because you want to be liked, when really you feel that disconnect inside of you, uh, you're not honoring yourself. Or right. another, another place where that might show up, is when you're not speaking your truth or you're shoving how you really feel and what you really want to say down inside of you for fear if I'm really myself or if I say what I feel or I laugh loud like I, you know, like is natural for me, then I won't be loved or I won't be acceptable. So I think those are all telltale signs that we're not being loving with ourselves. And, And we have to look at the quality of our relationships. You know, I, I could definitely say that I picked partners while they loved me. There was something in them that was absent. You know, I, w- I was kind of Ooh. replaying 
the absent father, right? Over and right. over again. Like most, most of, you know, most of those, most of the guys I tended to date were workaholics. You know, I know right. they loved me, but they, they didn't spend time with me. And so it, it, you know, just kept going until I really had that realization of like, wow, like, like I just spoke about in San Francisco, like I can't expect anyone else to love me more than I am capable of loving myself. Nice. It's almost like we don't let it in, right? We, we right. just kind of have this, this capacity of I can really only receive love up to the point where I'm able to see that lovability or that worthiness within myself. So I think that, you know, that's what really started to change in me. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, in other people that I work with, we really work on cultivating, like, how do you first, instead of just saying, let's jump in with ourselves, because that's not realistic. I right. really talk about, and I speak to this in the book, how do we cultivate, first of all, how do we cultivate a friendship with ourselves? How do we befriend ourselves? And I truly feel like that begins with showing up. And it, it can be less as easy as doing a morning practice where I tell people spend the first half hour of your day taking care of you. So you wake up, you have your meditation practice, you write out, you know, five, grat- five gratitudes, things you're grateful for and why. You spend that time nurturing you and maybe you go exercise, whatever that is. And as you show up for yourself day after day, you'll start trusting yourself to do so. It doesn't have to be this huge grand gesture. You build right. a relationship with you. And I, you know, I really liken it to if, if you met someone new, if you're just starting to build this relationship with yourself, you've got to build trust with you because you may not have been there for you at times or you abandoned yourself when you didn't let your voice be heard. So right. what, what we do is we slowly cultivate it. And when, like, if you can think less, when you meet a new person, Right after meeting them, you don't say, oh, my gosh, I completely trust you. I'm going to tell you my deepest, darkest secrets. And, by the way, <laughs> would you pick up my two-year-old at daycare tomorrow? I mean, we just don't do that, right? So, so it takes time. And so the beautiful thing is we can start doing that. And I have an exercise that I really love that I do with clients, um, and I do at my workshop, where what, what we do is we really work on how to cultivate a sense of self-love. And that first begins bringing in, you know, you're, you're closing your eyes, you're taking some deep breaths and really bringing into yourself a sense of, wow, when is the time that someone really loved me? And you might have your hand on your heart and you really feel into what that felt like, what those words were, what that sense was. And then remembering a time where you really loved someone else, where you were very loving towards someone else. And it could be an animal, it could be a person, it could be nature, but really feeling that sense of giving love out. And then the third part is really sending out that love. And it's like, it's almost as if you're catching that love in your own hand and it circles back through your arm and back into your heart. So you're giving yourself that sense of love. And to begin with, you send yourself love to the parts of you that are already easy to love. This is not about carte blanche. I'm just going to love myself because we know it's not that easy, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, yeah. So we begin with, okay, something I might love about myself is I'm really kind. I really am in, so in love with animals. I'm really good to animals or I'm a great friend or I've got a fun sense of humor. Or maybe I really like my smile or my eyes. I mean, you just start by loving all those parts of you that are already easy to love. Nice. And then the last part of this exercise is really bringing in whatever that is to you, your higher power, source, the divine. Imagine that love, that more unconditional sense of love coming down through the top of your head and directly into your heart. And then imagine that going to, radiating to the parts of ourselves that are more difficult to love. And as you're holding those parts in this bigger sense of unconditional love, it's literally like saying to yourself, I am willing to grow in love with you. I am open to growing in love with you. And I think that really begins that journey of how we can deepen love with ourselves. 
Well, very nice. It seems to me that that journey to a more expansive acceptance of self-love can take a lifetime. because Not because the journey is long, and for some people it might be a long journey, but that love is so vast. Love is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Love is so boundless. And um, I think there's a surrender that happens at some point when you when you start courting unconditional love. You start poking it with a stick, and mm-hmm. you're trying to stir it up and wake it up, and it starts to rumble, and your rational mind goes, <laughs> "Oh my God, what have I done?" I mean, now that that that. Uh, it it can it can be tough to take that i mean say you're in a relationship with your spouse and your measuring stick is completely about what your spouse quote thinks of you unquote you know what i mean and mm-hmm. and then and then to start the journey of of setting boundaries for yourself uh letting your preferences be known that can really kind of rock the boat so to speak if you've had if you've had a really um sterile definition of what is accepted in the relationship we always do this we always do that we don't do this we don't do that to start breaking those up as you um, explore your relationship with your own self-love that can be a little spooky how do you what would you say mm-hmm. to someone who's like, God, I know I'm not very authentic to myself. I know I want to tell, mm-hmm. you know, I want to untether my tongue, but I'm afraid if I do. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. How do you get past that? Yeah. Well, and again, I, I kind of have two answers for this because I think if you're really in that much fear, it's going to serve you to work with someone who's a therapist or a transformational coach to help guide you through or guide you and your partner through that process. If it feels like that much of uncharted territory. Um, And I think, you know, because I think that it can get really messy um, when we're really switching things up. And then, you know, we, we know, you know, from models of relationships, that when couples first get together, they really form what's called the couple identity. And then it might be months or years later um, that there's this natural kind of individuation process. And oftentimes that's when couples go into crisis, when someone's like, well, I used to love to mountain bike. I haven't done that for five years since I've been with you. I want to start doing that. Or I'm going to start taking time and now I'm going to join a book group and I'm going to join this women's spirituality group. And so the couple can go into crisis going, oh, my gosh, we're losing that original identity. Even right. though in the end, individuation is what strengthens the couplehood. Um, it, it can really, because just like you're saying, it's like that's not how we've been before. That's not how we operated. Something must be wrong. So it's such a huge growth opportunity for both people. Um, and oftentimes they need a guide. I mean, you can definitely – read self-help books. You can definitely go to seminars. There's lots of things you can do. And I think if it's really in that much fear, you need someone's help to guide you, not, not to go it alone. Now, if you're, right. just, if you're wanting to expand a sense of self-love, if you have a sense of it, I would invite you to really do that work with your partner. You know, if you have a partner that's really open to really jump it on this journey with you, then they're going to hold you as you're sharing the things you're discovering. And they're going to want you because, you know, it's true. And, and you, I, I know from knowing you, Les, that you know this. As we love ourselves, we're better able to love, you know, one another, other people to show up and have this wealth of reserve and resiliency for life that can only serve us and those around us. Very nice. It's um, <laughs> I I suggest human consciousness is perhaps the most powerful substance on the planet, 
and and because it's a vehicle of of love and mm-hmm. lo- love just love is a little prankster love is is i mean <laughs> love has a way because our rational linear minds i mean talk about wet cleanup aisle 5 our rational linear minds cannot language, let alone understand a multidimensional aspect of love without using symbols. And once you bring in symbols, you've already buggered it up. And, and so, so I suggest when you get into the, the, the literal field, that energetic field of love in your heart, you have to let go of your brain. You have to. If you're mm-hmm. going to really let love operate in you, through you, as you, untethered, you have to get the hell out of the way. And to me, that's beca- that's becoming fierce because if you let love run untethered through your persona, oh, my God. I mean, that's that's what I was hinting at at the beginning of the show is, what does it look like when the when the human genome, the human persona, if you were to observe somebody in really unbridled self-love, how would you describe them um, compared to the norm of humanity? Wow, such a question. You know, first of all, I want to say, one of the things that I truly believe, and I, and I talk to my coaching clients and private clients about this all the time, is that love brings up anything unlike itself for the purpose of being healed. Nice. So I think you're exactly right. As we grow in love, whether it's with ourselves or with our partner, the wounded parts of us are going to show up. Right. And so I, I loved what you were saying about living as love, you know, as love is flowing through us. Um, and, and I'm curious, you know, when you were saying just love unbridled, is, is that something you see as a negative thing, Les? Not at all. I think that's, okay. um, I don't, I think the ego, I don't know how many centuries or eons ago got promoted to the director of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And it's really such a common narrative that egos talk about what to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the egos kind of moved in and, and pushed love out as far as the moment-by-moment moment inspiration of action. And mm-hmm. uh, and to, to – uh, rebirth that or to to bring love back into the uh, as the rightful place as the director of our life yeah, I think is an extremely uncommon attribute because the, the ego has to let go com- so completely yeah yeah but we're interviewing and I agree you, with you. <laughs> No, but I, I appreciate that clarification because we're we're on the same page, yeah. And, yeah. and I think that some of my deepest level, deepest learnings in my life has been around surrender, not oh trying my to God. control things, not trying to fix things. And it is when I am in surrender that really that divine love is able to come through and it takes over. And I talk what? about so many examples of that in my own life. Um, and, and I guess I can share with you, I think one of the recent ones literally was a summer ago when, and I write about this in the book, but when my partner, uh, he, when I met him, I knew that he was going to be going on a spiritual quest to Central America to finish one he had begun a decade previously. I did uh-huh. not realize, I knew it was going to be for a while, but as he left, you know, he was really like, I'm going to give it three months. And that was just like, I felt like I was sending him into the abyss. And, and the gift in all of this that did not feel like the gift at the time, Les, I have to tell you, <laughs> was that this triggered in me that sense of abandonment again. Like, nice. here's this right. person yeah. I love, this really deep, you know, the, truly the most connected, 
present, loving, nurturing person I've ever known is now leaving me. And, um, and mind you, he had just moved in four months before that, after dating oh, right. and, and going back and forth between Seattle and Fort Collins. So he barely moved in leaves for this and we didn't even really know the time like we didn't know how long he'd be gone it was kind of till he finished this quest and the first month he was gone I was so flipping ticked I cannot tell you I was angry (laughs) I cried all the time I was so mad at him and what what happened I mean it truly became a blessing because what came up literally again it was this one night of serendipity where I had tried to get on to this Zoom group that I meditate with that's out of Seattle. And it was this full moon meditation. It was really special. And for whatever reason, my Zoom link would not work. I tried and tried and tried (laughs) to get onto my meditation group. And so finally, after 10 minutes, I'm like, I can't get into the group. I'm just going to go on the back patio and sit out here and meditate. And it was in that meditation that all of a sudden it just became so clear what was happening, that it was that little girl who was so wounded and still, you know, in some capacity standing by the door waiting for her daddy to come home that was getting activated. And as I surrendered that wounded part of me again, you know, and really let that go, this deep, deep sense of unconditional love filled me, number one, for that wounded little girl, because I could see the beauty in her. I could see, right. you know, just that, that pure loving essence that, that to me is really what our spark is when I talk about the spark. It's that essence that is us. And then to truly move into a deeper place of knowingness and, and really letting go of my partner Morgan and his journey and being able to just be, I'm at peace. I mean, it was, it was such an incredible switch and he was still gone for two months after that, but it totally changed my experience. I really moved into a place of accelerated growth personally and no, you know, new awakenings and really deepening my own self-love again. So it was really powerful and a big lesson in learning how to love someone fiercely, even when it brings up your deepest wound. Very nice. Well, um, time's a variable. I can, I can extend the show if we want to, because I, I love that we're talking about love. I want to share <laughs> an example. Uh, there's two times in my life where love so kicked my ass. And uh, um I had a very dear friend. We were like brothers. We had worked side by side in broadcast television for decades. And uh, I would have bet the farm that we were going to work together for many more decades. And he got cancer. And uh, and he he went all the way through cancer. I'm going to start crying if I'm not careful. The, okay. Sorry. I know, but uh, he went all the way through cancer, and I'm like, okay, his soul's just scaring the shit out of him, trying to wake him up. Okay, I get it. He's gone through Mm -hmm. cancer. He's done. And so I'm talking to him on the phone, and he's um, in remission. There's no cancer. And I'm talking to him, and he's like, well, I'm designing some love mics for on-air talent. I'm going to 3D print some stuff and, and do some acoustic tests. Um, I'll call you in like 10 days or so. And I go on Facebook and his daughter, his name was Elliot. His daughter starts talking about this guy, Elliot. And how Elliot, he had had died. The family chose not to have a funeral and they cremated him before I even knew he had passed away. And I found out on Facebook that Elliot was gone. It it so crushed me. And um, two or three weeks later, I'm I'm searching my my heart for this love. There's an image of people scuba diving, and 
And the image is the sea floor rolls off into this abyss of depth where the ocean goes into this unfathomable depth. And and my heart starts expanding as I connect with the love that I had for Elliot. And then my daughter got married. And in here in Colorado, it can get pretty cold. She got married in December. We're standing outside. The whole wedding, the whole wedding's lined up. And the doors are going to open, and Dad's going to walk his daughter down the aisle, and we're standing outside. It's like 10 degrees. And I'm bawling my head off. I'm just crying my ass off because I love my daughter so much. And and she's like, come on, Dad, suck it. You know, we got a wedding to do here. And uh, during the wedding reception, I'm talking about my daughter, and my heart just expands so much. I feel like if it expands uh, just a few more moments, reality will I, – I don't know how to describe it. it the, the love in my heart um, – I don't know how to describe it. It was like it it, it increased a thousandfold and ten thousandfold and then a hundred thousand. And if I didn't stop it, the whole dynamic of the room would be unpredictable. And it mm. it, it 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 so consumed me in my persona. And uh, I share this because um, as a I wanted to share a personal experience of what I mean by love is this gigantic, huge, vast Mm. energy field in our persona. And 99% of our lives, we never even allow it to stretch a little bit. And, Mm -hmm. And so I just want, we had talked so much about love. I just wanted to share those, those, it was the exact same feeling of the loss of my very dear friend and the love that I had for my daughter. I'm holding the microphone talking and I feel like I won't be able to pronounce words in about two seconds unless I reel this mm. back in. But anyway, mm. it's... Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I, when I When I look at the title of the show, Becoming Fierce... It it just it I see this volcano of love, this this radiant beam of love coming out of our hearts and to the ego, that's a very fierce um stance to take with a very powerful aspect of ourselves. Absolutely. Anywho <laughs> um <laughs> Now, you just, um, speaking of fears, Stephanie, you released a book this year, and you've released a movie. Can you tell us about your movie? Yeah. So the film is available right now. It's playing on Plex Network, and people can download that for free on the More You channel. And... I have to tell you, it was such a cool, cool experience. One of the greatest experiences, honestly, of my life um, where I can tell you the film first is about the, the challenges and the difficulties we set then become the match point that ignites something within us that becomes our gift to the world. Nice. And I had had, you know, this download after a meditation. This has been maybe three years ago now, um, and it was like, oh, my gosh, I know some of the most brilliant minds and serving hearts on the planet. You know, like you, through my radio show and podcast, I'd met all these incredible people, and I thought, what if I brought them together for an event, and instead of them coming and presenting for 45 minutes and leaving, walking off the stage, that they would come a couple days ahead of time, and we would have our own event first. And so we did that. There were 12 of us all together and um, amazing thought leaders and wisdom keepers came from all over the country and we met and we meditated together and we had meals together and we danced together 
and I interviewed them about truly their, their pain points and what ignited the spark within them. And then the second day we met around a big round table, all 12 of us, and we called it Lights of the Round Table. And we nice. really talked we really talked deeply about things that now, you know, this is pre-COVID, but they were there's things now that are so important about building real, you know, excuse me, building grit and resiliency and how do we take the long view and how do we heal? Um, how do we make change? So it was incredible. It's like you're a fly on the wall getting to hear you know, these, these thought leaders, private conversations and really intimate stories. And then the, the last part of the film takes it into where we took it the third day, which was into a live audience. And the cool thing about these presenters is they stayed in the audience. They were a part of it, supporting one another, supporting the field, and really with that intention, again, like we're all the same height. So everybody was there learning from one another, supporting one another. And so you really see these sparks. That's why it's called When Sparks Ignite. It's seeing how as we heal, we become a clear conduit for that love and healing then to come through us. Right. And so the really that's where the essence of that film, and it's on the film poster, you know, it says your healing matters. And that's the way that we're going to, you know, truly work to heal this planet is we've got to do our own work. We've got to allow ourselves to be priority in our own lives so that we're doing our healing. And then that's what we're bringing through us as us, as we've talked about, that sense of healing and love then comes through us to the world. Beautiful. Very nice. Well, had you had previous experience in making films? <laughs> no. That's the craziest thing, Les. I literally, at the time I got this download, I had 64 cents in my savings account. And um, literally, it, it was serendipitous, everything that happened. Everyone I asked came for free, number one. You know, these are people that make tens of thousands of dollars speaking, um, right. And I remember when I went down to Santa Fe and Jacob Lieberman, who's in the film, um, who is just a phenomenal uh, human being and has, has the book Illuminated Life, um, he uh, said, well, if you're going to Santa Fe, um, I know Larry Dossie and his wife Barbie, get a hold of them and then get a hold of George and Sedina Capanelli. Well, you know, we... A lot of people know Larry Dossi. He's a distinguished physician, and his wife, Barbie, is, is a nurse who has just done amazing work their whole lives and have been amazing presenters. Um, they met me for dinner. Larry put his hand on mine at one point during the dinner, and he was like, Stephanie, how can I refuse? And his sweet little draw. Um, <laughs> you know, he was southern gentleman. He's, he's so delightful. And then when I met with George and Sedina Capanelli, they're both television and film producers, and they have the PBS series Ageless Living. And they said, well, let us hook you up with our award-winning film crew, Doug Beachwood and his brother Kevin, Kara uh, Media. And so, I mean, it, everything just came together serendipitously. You know, we had 150 people that came to the, the presentation, the actual event. And it was, it was an absolute beautiful miracle. And people for years afterwards, you know, it's been about two and a half years ago that took place and people come to me and say, that event changed my life. You know, I'm different moving forward from that event on. And so it's so awesome, Les, to be able to share that now with right. other people, just to really get it out into the world. Um, Cause I really feel like it's, it's, the message that we need to hear with all the different things going on in our world right now and all the negative news, the, the comment I get most frequently from people that watch it is, wow, that really reinstilled a sense of hope and that I really do matter. Very nice. Well, let's, let's turn our attention on you. Tell us about the book. You told us about the film. Um, 
tell us about um, your platform modality. If you work in client with clients in person, one on one, take the time okay. and let the audience know everything you've got going on. Wow, thank you. So. I think um, one of the things that's been really wonderful, I just got back from Nashville from the National Speakers um, Convention that was out there, and I'm doing a lot of public speaking. I love to do that, and people can get a hold of me at stephaniejames.world. That's my website. So I'm available. I do a lot of online speaking. I'm a keynote speaker. Um, and, you know, I, I will definitely fly someplace if someone resonates with this message and wants me to come present. I do one-on-one coaching. Um, that's, I'm a transformational coach, so that's a really um, wonderful business that I have just loved taking people to that next level where they're breaking through their limiting beliefs, old limiting things that no longer, ser- you know, serve them. And that's, that's one of the chapters in my book is purge what doesn't serve. Right. And so really help people to ignite that life that really is available to them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm weaning out of my psychotherapy private practice because I have all of this going on. And we just, June 24th was the day that my film came out, my book came out the same day, and I was in Estes Park doing a women's retreat called Becoming Fierce that we filmed for a seven-part network series that will be appearing on Plex late this fall. So Beautiful. It, it's, it's been so exciting, and really, I, I love sharing this message. Um, you know, so I, I am thrilled to, to have people get a hold of me. Uh, I've presented at schools and businesses and for different, you know, civic groups. So I love this work. And I think this message is, is really what's needed in these times so that we can show up as our best self and really fully live this beautiful life in full expression. Well, very nice. Well, time can fly by pretty fast when you're having fun. Um, do you have any closing <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I guess, you know, what I would say to your listeners, Les, is just to take that deep breath and connect with your own heart for a moment. And as you do that, to really hear that message. I don't say that message lightly. You know, your healing truly does matter. And each one of us that heals, we become, and we're all in that healing process. We never arrive. But as we begin to heal, then we become golden threads in that tapestry that can really start to make the change in humanity. It really starts one heart, one person at a time. And so this is the essential time, and you are the essential person. Well, very nice. Well, Stephanie, I want to thank you for being back on our show tonight. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I have too, Les. Thank you so much. It's always wonderful being with you and such a privilege and joy to be on your show. Thank you. We've been talking with Stephanie James, and the topic tonight is the name of her latest book, Becoming Fierce, Creating a Bold and Beautiful Life. Damn, what an what an exciting time to be alive. What a what a transformational time for not only ourselves but really for humanity and perhaps the planet. It's I'm just I have to pinch myself sometimes. I mean, what if Leonardo da Vinci had 3D printing where he could dream up an idea and then test it the very same day? What if Jesus had a YouTube channel and could talk to the whole flipping planet? How, what would the narrative of humanity be? How would that be different? You are living in that environment. You're living on the planet where you can literally communicate with millions, if not billions of people from your home. How cool is that? And your heart and your soul can, I'm pretty 
um, our egos cannot comprehend the vast vision that is possible for each and every one of us. Our egos with our linear thinking cannot understand a multidimensional opportunity, so to speak. Our hearts and our soul can see a a narrative, a timeline, whatever, of our future, but I find it fascinating that the egos, the, the, the last say in it, until we teach the ego to let go, to let go, let go of the reins, throw the reins down on the galloping horses and pull out the six shooters and shout hooray, it, to, to be able to trust that inner vision, that inner guidance that we all have. Well, I want to thank you, the audience. You've showed up for yourself. Here you are at the end of the show. I applaud you for showing up for yourself. Every time you make it, make an effort to grow who you are, you literally change the, the narrative of the rest of your life. So I applaud you. It's been such a fun journey having the show and... Um, Until next time, I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.